the age of free market, trade is the most important thing. It is the end-all be-all for economists. For economists, it's just kind of a part of life. It's not something that should be questioned. That is why when you open most econ textbooks, let's say Macro 101, the first thing you're going to find is, and I quote, with specialization and trade, we live much better. That is the most important part of, well, everything for economists. Free trade is the end-all be-all. Anything that goes against the market, trade, specialization, it goes against the very foundation of economic law, of nature. But why? And has trade always been this important? Well, that is what we're going to be covering today in this episode. We're going to be covering the history of free trade, or the history of world trade, actually. So with no further ado, let's travel back in time. I'm your host, Traveling Cordobo, and we're going to learn a little bit about the history of trade. So I'm going to describe to you how I started to learn about trade in my econ classrooms. This is how they explain it. The common interpretation is that like 8,000 years ago, okay, I don't exactly know if it was 8,000 years ago, but like a really, really long time ago, we have evidence of some long distance trade transaction. And it probably went something like this. On the west coast of Africa, let's say a Phoenician ship arrives and the ship sends up a smoke signal. The people on land see the smoke signal. And so the leaders of the people on land with the leaders of the people on the ship conclude that they want to trade with each other. So there's a simple exchange of goods after which the men retreat back onto their ship and sail away with their new goods. And the people on the coast are left with their brand new goods. So everyone's better off. Everyone has exciting new goods. Now, for these exchanges to take place, all parties have to follow a certain set of unspoken rules. Because, well, think about it. An alien merchant isn't really just going to come and settle and trade if they believe their head is going to roll when they decide they want to exchange ivory for gold. So loose groups of people begin to organize to be able to impose some sort of order within society in order to create enough stability to encourage trade, which brings wealth to their population. So a state therefore began as people started taking part in society in order to create order. And the state becomes sovereign when the people in the society, as well as other groups, begin to recognize this as a state, a society with enough political power in order to establish economic ties with other states. Therefore, a group of people forms a state when there is some sort of political organization, and it's strong and it's stable enough to be able to conduct trade. So for economists, once again, trade and specialization are at the center of organized society for civilization. And this is kind of how we are taught it. I'm saying this as an econ student, okay? Trade is seen as the end-all be-all. It is the foundation of state, of society, of human nature. Now, I'm just setting the stage of how we understand the importance of trade of today and how it ties back to the history of humanity. But ironically, trade or free trade hasn't actually always been as popular as it is today. So you see, back in antiquity, trade was actually pretty unpopular, or at least in ancient Greece. For the Greeks, the economy was but one part of a larger social system that allowed them to examine economic issues as one facet of a broad-faced issue. 
So two centuries before Plato and Aristotle, there had been a period of economic liberalization in ancient Greece. So there was a huge surge of commercial activity, including international trade. So trade in ancient Greece was reaching all-time highs when the greatest philosophers decided to start writing some of their economic ideas. They believed that the instability in Greece resulted from a pursuit of financial gain from merchants. The pursuit of wealth would lead individuals to make decisions that would work against the common good. For example, take the myth of King Midas. King Midas could turn everything he touched into gold. In the beginning, King Midas was ecstatic with his new power. He touched eggs, he had golden eggs. He touched trees, he had golden trees. Quickly, he became the richest man on earth. But his greed grew with every passing second until he accidentally touched his daughter and she turned into gold. King Midas lost the most important thing to him because he was so obsessed with greed, because he so wanted more gold. So to follow the pursuit of wealth in ancient Greece was greedy, and greed leads to dire consequences. As Midas had destroyed himself in the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of wealth would destroy Greek society. Merchants, because they traded, were always associated with this sort of pursuit of wealth, and therefore they were kind of always seen with a sort of disdain. And so there's this sort of hatred for merchants and everything having to do with trade. Not so much internal trade within the empire, but external trade with outside of the empire. So for example, many Greek philosophers focused on the idea that money was leaving their empire and somehow going east. It is, of course, impossible to cut off trade. Luxuries from China, such as porcelain, silk, tea, were very, very popular in Athens and other ancient Greek city-states. So it was kind of hard to curb foreign trade, but that didn't mean that they didn't try. Plato and Aristotle advocated for policies including the prohibition of lending interest, the elimination of profits, and statutory fixing prices, all because they believed that somehow this would keep commercial activity in check, so reduce the amount of free trade happening outside of the empire. Philosophers recommended that various governments take actions to mitigate any incentive that would seek financial gain through foreign trade. And they also even created a separate domestic and international trading currencies. Because if you have a dual currency system, it just kind of makes it harder for international trading activity to take place. So it's kind of weird to think about, but the Greeks were trying to limit free trade at every single corner, if they could. Still kind of hard to limit free trade because that is part of society, but... Nevertheless, they tried. And what's even more peculiar is kind of what happened after. So in the Roman times, the Roman scholar Pliny the Elder noted in his natural histories that Rome's fiscal weaknesses manifested in millions of coins leaving the country in order to go east to pay for women's ostentatious consumption. And I quote, women's ostentatious consumption. So Essentially, Romans were mad that all their lovely gold and silver was leaving their Roman Empire to buy luxury goods from the East. And of course, who loves luxury goods? Well, women. Because women are also the cause of all evil, always in society. So, they had to blame it on women. 
And somehow, of course, the luxury good trade was somehow destroying the soul of the Roman spirit. Emperor Tiberius, the second Roman emperor, complained that, and I quote, that womanish, womanish, that womanish peculiarity, the export of our currency to foreign or enemy countries for precious stones. So just for a basic understanding, there was a need for trade. It's kind of impossible to curb external trade. But external trade is still linked with greed, and therefore merchants who engage in that external trade don't have a particularly high-ranking society, because they're transporting goods that are looked down upon, yet everyone seems to want at the same time. So trade was linked with something that was inherently evil at the time, something that could be exploited by the state. Trade was seen to be interlinked with the political sphere. Roman imperialist objectives mimicked that of their economic ones, even if they really didn't realize it by the time. For example, Romans really wanted to extend east. And why did they want to extend east? Well, because they wanted the goods from the east, and they wanted to be able to trade with those goods, but still fit their moral compass, so still have it be within their empire. Therefore, they were trying to expand east as much as possible. And so publicly, trade was to be feared. There was a political agenda that was meant to restrict trade outside of the empire, to the bare minimum. However, that actually, well, really never happened because it's really, really hard to curb external trade, especially if your citizens want it, even if they won't admit it. <laughs> so just remember that. In the ancient world, in European history, trade was not always looked favorably upon. <sighs> so I just think it's incredible because the pursuit of self-interest is something so incredibly important in economics. It kind of sets up the basis that we're all rational human beings and we're all acting in our own self-interest. You know, that's one of the core principles, if you've never heard it before. But it's weird to think that this core principle hasn't always been around. It hasn't always been understood. It hasn't always been encouraged or accepted as a fact. Because now we have learned that in antiquity, it was very much looked frowned upon. You had to curb those impulses, try to act for the good of the state, not for the good of the individual. And if you happen to be one of those individuals that fell to the pursuit of wealth, well, you were a plague on society. It's kind of fascinating, no? Just weird to think about how much things have changed. So next week, we're going to be talking about how the image of self-interest started to change and therefore the image of merchants started to change and how that kind of developed into the capitalistic system that we have today. It's going to be a two-part episode, I know, but it will be fascinating. I bid you adieu. Goodbye. And of course, before I leave, if any of you guys are interested and you're financially able and you would like to support my Patreon, it is a great way to support this podcast series and everything I do. On my Patreon, I have a podcast series about the godfathers of the Renaissance, if you want to check it out. If not, find me on social media, TikTok, Instagram, you know, the whole nine, YouTube, under Traveling Incredible. I wish you all the best. Goodbye.